Nelly has that song. Bill Gates, uh, Donald Trump, uh, let me in, uh, right? Because people want in and people deserve to be in. And for whatever reason, they can't get in. So I was like, well, what if I could provide a platform where we could level the playing field, where you could get access to people, not necessarily famous people, but they could be famous, but the people that you believe that could potentially change your life. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. Did you know that I love helping entrepreneurs like you scale and grow your business efficiently to enable revenue and profits to grow faster so you can enjoy the fruits of your labor more fully? I use real-world experience of owning and running a profitable multi-million dollar company that has been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for three years in a row. That coupled with studies at Babson College, the Entrepreneurial Master's Program at MIT and Harvard gives me the unique ability to help entrepreneurs see your blind spots and move over the road bumps faster. I help entrepreneurs like you break through your plateau and reach higher levels of achievement. For more information, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Today, we talk to attorney-turned-entrepreneur Mike Alden about book marketing, liquor popsicles, and his newest brilliant endeavor, Connection Capital. Now let's get right into it. I mean, it started when I was a kid, you know? So it started in the winters when we could shovel driveways and mow lawns in the summer and getting a paper route and having the lemonade stand at the end of my street on a hot summer day. And then with the lemon, I realized that if I had multiple lemonade stands, I'd make more money. And so I literally like franchise lemonade stands uh, with my friends. We'd ride around on our bikes. And so I would provide the product and then I would have a couple of friends on different streets. And then I would always look at other ways to kind of make money. And as a kid growing up in the projects, sometimes the ways to make money weren't probably really the best way. Uh, <laughs> but you just I love that you're out. scaling a lemonade stand at the tender age of what? Oh, probably 10. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've heard so many entrepreneurs talk about their youth enterprises, but no one has talked about scaling, which is amazing. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. surprise me. Funny too. Like, I don't know if it was my mom's. I, I don't remember like anyone saying you should do this. We just did. And then also one thing I haven't talked about is that then it turns into a bit of a controversy too, right? Because if it's my lemonade stand and I'm providing the product, well, then the following weekend, the guys that were kind of doing it with me, then they do their own. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, this was my idea. So we didn't even talk about intellectual property and any of that stuff, right? You know, so, so that created some controversy in the neighborhood, but you just kind of be like, all right, well, fuck it. You do yours, I'll do mine. So that didn't last very long. <laughs> Because they just said, well, why would I work for you when I can just do it on my own? That's good training. You had really early onset entrepreneurial training from experience. So you had it within you. You're an attorney. And then what? When did the call center and supplements and long form ads career take place? Yeah. So I launched a business for a product called Zeus Juice. I talk about it in my first book as a freeze pop with booze in it. In fact, 
you know what? I have them in the freezer. I could even show them to you. I still have them if you want to see what they look. You want to see what they look like? How old are they? Yes. All right, hold on. Let me get one. Hold on. We're going to okay. get one. You're right. Hold on. So, <laughs> I love it. Show and tell. Okay. Open so, that up. Is that so like 20 years old? No. So 2016, I relaunched it. So these are real ones. So this is the product right here. It's called Zeus Juice. And they're frozen solid, 8.2% alcohol. And we had them in like these tubes like this. And so this is the second iteration of that product. So I launched it when I was younger and I was on my way to law school and I ultimately went bankrupt because I just was undercapitalized. And I learned a big lesson there. And it's funny, one of the businesses we're getting ready to launch now, when I was launching that business the first time, a friend of mine said to me, who's a really great friend still today. In fact, I was just talking to him yesterday and he said, Mike, you know, is there anyone else doing it? And there wasn't anyone else doing it. And I was like, cool, I'm the only one. So therefore I'm just going to crush it, you know? And he says, well, that could be a problem. And I'm like, what do you mean? No, this is my idea. Like, this is cool. And he said, well, there might not be a market for it. Why hasn't Bacardi done this? Why isn't Absolute Vodka done this? Why hasn't some of these bigger brands already done this? And I'm like, I don't know. So I was the first one in the United States to get that type of package approved in the United States. There was another company in the Netherlands called Freaky Ice, and they were just doing a really, really good job. They did enter the United States, but they didn't do it right. So that was like kind of my first like business. And we were doing some great things. We we're on the cover of Stuff Magazine. Pam Anderson was on the actual cover cover and the article actually said, Hey kids want to try this? Oops, this isn't for kids. And I'm like, fuck, it's not going to be good. But actually we blew up as a result of it. It was everywhere. We got to hit orders in countries I'd never even heard of, but I was also undercapitalized. I didn't have the money. And then the machines that I had making it, they were faulty and I was delivering the product and they were leaking and all over the world, all over the country. And then ultimately I just ran out of money. I couldn't fix the problem. So I was in law school. So I had to make the decision. Do I stay in law school or do I try and raise money and try and figure out how to raise money? So I chose, let's stay in law school. So I did that. <laughs> so you there. just put it to bed for a bit and then you revitalized it in 2016, yeah, right. having a lot of experience in capital or access to capital, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you asked about the call center stuff too, right? So I was in law school. I was broke. I declared bankruptcy. I needed a job. I just needed money. And so a friend of mine was actually working in a call center and she was making at the time $1,300 a week. This was in 2000, maybe like in 2000, 2001. And I'm like, if you're making 1300, well, I'll like triple that because I've been in sales my whole life. I was a recruiter before that. I sold cars right out of college and she's borderline brain dead and she's doing 1300. And so I went to this company. They didn't hire me. They said they didn't have room for me. Now I show up there. I'm in a suit. I'm in law school and they told me they didn't have room for me, right? And the call center, by the way, was like literally like the boiler room. I mean, there were guys on the fucking ankle bracelet and I'm like, you don't have room for me? I was, probably I was, knew you weren't going to stay long and why to invest time in someone that was just there for- They were probably moment. scared because they were like, oh, they got all these criminals working there. And so the HR guy says to me, we don't have room for you. So I went around the HR guy because I was a recruiter before that, by the way, right? So I didn't know how to do that. I went around the HR guy. I went into customer service and I got hired in customer service and started killing it in customer service, making more money than everybody, including the managers there. And they didn't know why. They didn't know how. They're listening to my phone calls. What is this guy? doing is he's like, it, by the way, it was the easiest job in the world. Calls were coming into me. All I had to do is pick up the phone, deal with their problem. But I had, was a sales guy. So I would just sell them shit. Right. So I started to learn that business from customer service to sales to shipping. I learned all that stuff while I was in law school. So I was going to law school nights. I was taking calls during the day. They were open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I could just pop in whenever my schedule, they let me do that because I was doing a good job. And then ultimately I became their in-house counsel. <laughs> 
And that was a hell of a ride. And then in 2008, I started my company kind of doing the same thing, just doing it a lot better than they did. So that's wow. a Reader's Digest version of it. And is that call center business still happening? So I actually sold the call center. Running a call center is a hard thing to do, especially when half the people that you employed are from your town and you went to high school with them. And it's an uh, hourly wage game, right? It's an hourly plus commission. And we're here in Massachusetts. And at the end of the day, really just financially, just it wasn't working for us because it was just too expensive to employ people. So we sold it. And I do have outbound guys, though, they're straight commission, you know, and these guys, they're making consistently six figures year after year after year. Even when our revenue has been going down throughout the years, they're still doing well because these guys, they're professional salespeople and they're built a massive database of their own. I mean, it's our database, but it's their kind of clients that they work with. And we pay them the same commission, whether it's a new sale or an old sale. So and what are they selling? So mostly dietary supplements, dietary yes. supplements, okay. books, right? But mostly dietary supplements, nutritional products. And we sell everything from pet products to joint health products, to male sexual health products, to testosterone, just the general greens product. You and I have talked offline and I was saying, I get tired of this business because there are a lot of charlatans in this business. There are a lot of people that make outrageous claims. I mean, when I was a lawyer, my old company, they were one of them. But at the end of the day, it is a great industry and these products do help people. But unfortunately, Fortunately, there's just a lot of bad actors. And when you're in that space, you get kind of pigeonholed into that space and you get wrapped up into it and you have that perception as well. And so and we sell them on television. So all these different things, but I still do love it. It's just the business itself is becoming increasingly more difficult. It looks like you're distancing yourself as the man on the forefront from that business. And is it that business that you did the long form ads, the TV infomercials? Yeah. And then so still today, we have infomercials that are still on today. And I'm the host of the shows. I look a little different. I'm just trying to look. Yeah, I look a little bit different. I usually don't have the beard and my hair is usually kind of a little tighter and I'm usually rocking a suit and our television studio is actually right out there. And so that's what it looks like. But yeah, so, so you're we do still filming those currently. Mm-hmm. And where can yeah. they be seen? I need to see one of these. I'll have to send you some links. They're on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all over the country, all over the world, actually. So the infomercials aren't, look, they're dying and they've changed. The model has changed significantly throughout the years because of just how we consume our media, right? With all these different on-demand options and apps and things like this and free channel guides and things like that. So again, it's becoming more and more difficult to run a business the way I've been doing it. So we buy time everywhere, whether it's Discovery Network or just your local broadcast station as well. We have a media- You have an in-house media buyer? I have a media agency that does it, but I have an in-house guy that manages it for us. Do you know that was one of my past jobs was a media buyer for an ad agency? You've done a lot too. Oh yeah. Yes, I have. We won't even go there. Okay. So I would love to know what business landed you on the Inc. 5000 or -hmm. what businesses, which ones? Yeah. So that's my company, Blue Vase Marketing. So look, you and I both know to be able to say that is quite an accomplishment, but at the end of the day, it's also marketing, right? And so when I saw- Exactly. This is why I'm asking you is how did you leverage the inclusion on that list? I did. What did it mean? So as a young entrepreneur, you have grand visions and you have ideas and all these things. And most of the stuff is just too grandiose and it's just never going to happen. And so the company itself, Blue Vase, We wanted to service others as well. And we have done that a little bit, but for the most part, all of our stuff is our stuff. Like when I ship product, it's our product. When I take, when when calls come into our call center, it's our product, right? And so when we're doing customer service, it's all of our stuff. This is our studio. So are you developing the product? 
is it white labeled or is it a combination of all of that? Yeah. I mean, so it's on a case by case basis, right? So for instance, I'm going to be doing one next, actually at the end of this week, the gentleman came to us with the product. The product is already done. We look at it from a legal perspective. Some of the claims that he wants to make, can we do that? And if we can't, then we modify the formula. We own the name, we own the trademark, we own the copyright, we own all that stuff. And so it usually comes to us as a product or an idea, and then we license it to them or we license it from them. But we then own all of the intellectual property. And that's kind of how the model works. So at the time you were on the list, you didn't really leverage that for likes, media, social. So it was something that, look, one of the things that I've always struggled with is that I'm an infomercial guy, right? We sell male sexual health products. We sell stuff on TV, which again, has that negative connotation. And it was more of like, hey, like we're legit. So we've been on the Inc. 5000 three years in a row. When I made the Boston 40 under 40, it was kind of about me, but it was also about the company itself. And then when we started to do things like we sponsored Fabrizio Verdum in the UFC heavyweight championship fight where he won that fight with one of our products, we've done a ton of stuff with NASCAR. And I didn't realize the power of those two things more so than anything with my sales guys because I had a few sales guys said to me, Mike, you have no idea how powerful that is to say that, hey, we have a car in the Spring Cup Series in the Daytona 500 and we can show it. And we can show that we sponsored Fabrizio Verdum in the UFC. So that right there was something I was like, wow, okay, cool. So that helps just with brand equity and also maybe closing sales. So the Inc. 5000, be honest with you, is more of just a like, hey, we're real. Like we're legit. That because, makes complete sense. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my industry of the events and entertainment production world, there's pretty much no one in my field that is on that list. So it makes us look huge. It makes right. us look way bigger than... I mean, the perception is greater than the reality. But it is a great accomplishment. So It, it is. Really I mean, is, to yeah. scale and grow a company to be on the list is a lot of work. It doesn't say anything about how much profit you're making, which I have suggested to Inc. to do another list. <laughs> and I don't this know. Is if true. And if they did, I wouldn't have been on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you've written some books, quite a few. And I want to know how that led to your starting a book marketing division. Thing. Yeah book marketing thing. Yeah. So my first book is titled Ask More, Get More. And it kind of goes back to the Inc. 5000 thing a little bit about why. So the original idea for the book was, is we were going to create a funnel. We're going to sell the book on TV. People were going to come in and we we're going to sell them back-end programs, coaching and training, all that other stuff that everybody kind of knows about, right? But as we started to do that, I think, again, you and I have talked offline a little bit about this. I just decided I didn't want to do that. At the time, it just wasn't me. I didn't want to sell a 197 package with the goal of really upselling them to the 997, to the 290. I don't know. It just didn't excite me. I didn't feel good about it. There's nothing wrong with that business model. I just didn't want to do it, you know? But I was writing the book. And as I was writing the book, I started to realize, I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like I've done some pretty cool stuff. And I think people could benefit from it. And the title, again, is Ask More, Get More. And I was like, this is a cool title. There's great content. And for me as a person, it is more, again, to build that legitimacy and that credibility factor, right? To have a book that's not a self-published book. Again, nothing wrong with the self-published thing, but I wanted to just kind of step it up a little bit for me because I have a chip on my shoulder. I'll always have a chip on my shoulder because I'm always that kid from the projects. The projects are literally right there. I can see them if I stood on this building, right? And yep. I see them all the time. And so I'm always going to be that kid no matter what I do. And people are always going to perceive me as that too. Now that may be some sort of weird thing that I got going on. I have to work with that with my therapist. So that first book for me was, Hey, I've arrived. 
Right? And was this one published by Wiley? This one was published by Greenleaf. And when I submitted, that's funny too, how I've even connected with Grant Cardone, because you've probably heard me tell a story, but I would go to the airport and I would see Grant Cardone's books and I would see Ryan Blair's books and I would see Tony Robbins and these other guys. But I picked up Grant's book. His first one, I think it was Sell or Be Sold, or If You're Not First, You're Last. And Greenleaf was the publisher. I didn't even know who Greenleaf was, but I'm like, if it's good enough for Grant, good enough for me, submitted it to them. They responded with a 20. I didn't know anybody there. They responded with a 26 page. Yes. Which meant we'll do it, but you have to rewrite the book. And I didn't want to do that. I'm like, fuck, but I did. And we've done some great things with that. And so the other books, the second one is called 5% more. And then my last one, blueprint to business. I wrote a children's book in between that as well. The whole book thing came about when I was on a podcast and I was talking about how much money I've spent on my books, which is, I wish I had most of it back, but all let's the use that number. Say that number out loud. It's over 2 million. You know, I mean, the first race that I did with NASCAR, the first one was the Daytona 500. Now I didn't wrap the car, but even just putting it on the panel was crazy money, right? In the Daytona. And then I, but I wrapped cars. Like you can see, if you look on my Instagram. So I did a lot of insane things. I sponsored my buddy in the World Series of Poker. That was fun. Actually, he cashed. That's a long story, but that was fun. So I did a lot of things. It didn't sell books. And so I started to think about, I had a mentor say, you know, he says, Mike, you have this massive database. We've been building it for years. This was 2015 or 16 because we were thinking about the other book, 5% more. He said, why don't you look at your database and see what you can do there? Like, see if you can get your people to buy books. And I'm like, ah. Now we had sold books to them already, different types of books. So we said, let's give it a shot. And that's really kind of how the whole thing happened. So someone heard me on a podcast, reached out to me and said, hey, well, I have a client and I want to get him on the Wall Street Journal USA today. Can you help? I said, well, I've never done it for anybody else, but I'm pretty sure I can because I've done it now multiple times for myself. So let's give it a shot. And now the rest is history. And I've been doing it now for authors over and over and publishers and things like that. And I love it, right? You and I talk about this. I know you have a book coming out and I just love the world because I also know what it's like to launch that book, that first book, Ask More, Get More and watch things go horribly wrong and people not buy the book and getting bad reviews and all these things. A lot of them you can control. And so I just learned what to do, what not to do. And I also learned a lot of, I mean, most of the publishers have no idea what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. And a lot of it is, I talk about it in one of my books that I've also written. You're the Wizard of Oz of book marketing. It's it's, it's, A lot of it's not that complicated, but it has taken, so that 2 million bucks that I've spent ultimately is, it got us here. Like, so if I hadn't done that, you and I wouldn't have met. So it was well worth it. It was well, well worth it. So let me ask you this. You have Blue Vase. You have this book marketing. You've got a lot of stuff going on. It seems to me in our relationship that one of your main things that you're working on is the book marketing, but everything you've told me up to now is still working. The alcoholic ice pops and the... Those aren't. So how much of your time, how do you split your pie? I mean, I talked to you again about how efficient you are and some of the systems that you have in place. It's hard especially when you come up with an idea. Here's the thing about me is, is that like, when I think of something, a lot of times it happens right after I meditate. And they always say, when you meditate, don't act on it, just write it down, think about it, let it kind of percolate. And so when I come up with an idea that I really think is good, that I think that we can do, that makes sense, that aligns with our core values, and I think it can help people, then I'm going to do it. Now, Zeus juice is not one of those things that all that stuff that I just said, but it's a cool idea. And I think it could sell. I thought I could sell and it did sell. And I just never want to be that guy that looks back on his life and say, I wish I tried. 
I should have done that if I had an only syndrome. And there's so many people do that. And so I'm 46 and a lot of people say, oh, well, you're just getting started. And that may be true, but we're starting to get into the second half. So I just always want to just, when I have something that I think is viable, I want to try and at least take it to a point where we can prove whether it works or it doesn't. And by the way, in the infomercial world, I've produced here at Blue Vase, I don't know, probably like a hundred, but I've been a part of hundreds and there's only a few that work and that's just business. Right. You know, so the book marketing thing is something, it's not my core business. It's not my primary business. The primary business is the stuff at Blue Vase. But to be candid with you, there's a shift happening. It feels like it's more of a passion. So if I hire you to market Mm -hmm. my book, which is probably going to happen, how many people are working on that project? It's not just you. Are you the front man and then somebody else, a team of people are so, doing so the So we same? have a, so like you, we actually have a small crew here. I think I have a total of like 20 employees. And when we turn it on, it essentially just works. We have a couple people that watch things, but you do actually get me. So if you're doing what you and I are talking about, which is kind of a higher level thing, I want to be the one that's dealing with you, the author and or the publisher one-on-one because we're not doing hundreds of books a day or a week or anything like that. We're actually doing a very small number. So I can do that. But for the most part, once we turn it on, it just works. That's the beauty of it. We like to say it's not AI, but it is systematized that once we turn it on, even if I wasn't a part of it, it would just work. Okay. I love a system. I love a good system. Yeah, Yeah, I know you do. It makes my heart sing. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about, which I'm very into and very excited about for you, but also for myself on many levels is connection capital. What are you willing to say about it right now? It's funny. I was just talking to my CIO a second ago. I said, well, this is probably the first time we're going to talk about it publicly. So I'm writing a seventh book called Connection Capital. And as I was writing the book, I started out to tell a story about when I was a young lawyer, I went to a trade show in Vegas and you know, I was broke and myself and another guy who now works for me is my director of marketing. We went to this little cocktail hour and we met a guy, his name is Mark Bigelow. And he just came up to us. He's a little bit older than us. And he handed us his card. He said what he did, he, by the way, he was a media buyer, media agency. And we developed a relationship pretty quickly with him. We just liked him. And that one meeting has changed my life and has changed thousands of people's lives. And it has connected me with people literally all over the world. And so I started to tell that story. And there are so many things, you know, it's the six degrees of separation, Kevin Bacon, right? So as I started to write the book, I started to think about really what's going on in the world right now. So as a kid who grew up in the projects, money was obviously an issue. Credit was an issue. But I think that's becoming less and less of an issue for people. The wealth, people talk about the wealth gap. People talk about the credit gap. But really what's happening and the most difficult thing for people is the access gap. Nelly has that song, Bill Gates, uh, Donald Trump, uh, let me in, right? Because people want in and people deserve to be in. And for whatever reason, they can't get in. Maybe they don't have the type of personality that I might have or you might have. Maybe they can't afford getting on a plane, going to Vegas where all these trade shows are, and then buying a ticket to 10X Growth Con or do all these things because they're just trying to get access to somebody, right? So I was like, well, what if I could provide a platform where we could level the playing field, where you could get access to people, not necessarily famous people, but they could be famous, but the people that you believe that could potentially change your life. And then I started to think about 
those people, the ones that you want to connect with, what about them? Like what's in it for them? How could they help? Well, a lot of these people like you and me, we like to help other people, even in the same industry. Because when we talk about the bookmarking stuff, we have this room on, on Clubhouse and people come into my room all the time. We're technically competitors, but we like to help each other out. It's just humans, right? But there's this disconnect. And so when I started to think about what I could do as I'm writing the book, I said, well, let's see if we can create a platform called Connection Capital where I can bridge the gap, where I can show people how to essentially skip the line. I tell people it's like a combination of like Masterclass, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and the Disney Fast Pass all at once. And so when you ultimately do connect with somebody like my friend, Mark Bigelow, your life can literally change. It's a cliche thing. People say, oh, your net worth is your network. And people say that all the time, but I don't think people really necessarily understand it. And I also don't think that there's a difference between networking and connecting. And so when we at Connection Capital, we're going to connect you, right? We're also going to show you how to truly build a connection with people. And if that person that you're connecting with, we call them expert advisors let's say it's Elon Musk and Elon Musk has a conversation with you. If you develop a connection with him and Elon Musk wants to give you his cell phone number or his email address or whatever, congratulations. And for me, I get so excited because I think about the future. It's like match.com, right? You hear it all the time to say, well, people, they got married, right? Then the founders of match are probably really excited about that. Like, I can't wait to hear when we connected some kid right out of college with a very powerful influencer or business person, and they go on and build the next billion dollar company. Like, I can't wait to hear those stories. Yeah, you're so a catalyst for growth and great stories. And I think as you're coming up to your second half, things like that matter more potentially. They matter more. Yeah, to really to anything. Because yeah, when people think about legacy, right? Like, Tim Ferriss, right? Okay. So Tim Ferriss, you know, is a prolific author, but guess what? He started out selling supplements. My friend, Dean Graziosi, he was an infomercial guy. Okay. Tony Robbins was an infomercial guy. Tony Robbins also sold supplements, right? He owned Twin Labs. So there's a common theme here, right? With a lot of us. And so it's not a bad industry, but it seems to be, it's always like a stepping stone. You don't hear about people really staying in it for a long period of time. And so, yeah, I'm excited. You and I talked about it, and I think it truly is going to change the world. And we're getting ready to launch it. And by the time your podcast probably comes out, I think it's going to change people's lives. And that's why I'm really, really excited about it. Because again, I wasn't given access. And that's really the passion there for me, right? When you think about- I wasn't either. I mean, I think access to higher education, connections. I remember just recently, like maybe two years ago, the only person I had- to advise me on finances was an Edward Jones agent. Right. And an advisor of mine had said, no, 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 you are way beyond that. But there is no way I had access to the wealth advisors that I have now prior to that. They don't advertise. They're not out hustling. And it's just being in that certain echelon that gives you access. So you know how I feel about this idea. I love it. I want in. So let me ask you this. At this point in time, with all of your businesses that are existing and the ones that you're growing, what is the number one challenge that you're really faced with now? So I was just uh, on Clubhouse uh, before we started the podcast. And so I've built my businesses and grown my businesses without raising money. I don't know a lot about that space. I've had friends and family put money in some of these businesses here and there. But for me, it's always been lack of working capital. 
And so we're always bootstrapping stuff to this day. And I talk about it all the time. Like when you get on the Inc. 5000, you have to certify stuff. And I have no problem if someone were to call me out and say, you say you've done 300 million. Yeah, sure. You want to take a look at my fucking tax returns? No problem. But I haven't kept a lot of it. Plain and simple, right? And so to start a business and to grow a business the way you really want to, you need that capital. Can I figure out a way to borrow money, which I've done throughout the years? I mean, I borrowed from one guy over $100 million, right? I borrowed it, really expensive, like crazy expensive money, like kind of almost like loan sharking type money, an actual bank, but you know, borderline usury rates, right? So when I think about scaling a business properly, like my friend with the Zushu's business also talked to me about, Mike, whatever you think you need, multiply it times three. The cool part is, is that I have built a great team. I have a CIO. My CIO is an actual Mensa. He can't say that because he sounds like a dick. My CFO is a brilliant guy, my director of marketing. So I do have a great team. And so together we work well, and we have great infrastructure. So to start a new business, it's not literally like starting from the ground up. We have systems, we have servers and all the other tech stuff that you need to start a business. But at the end of the day, it's capital, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. Will you go out for uh, angel investors or venture capital for connection capital? Yeah. You know, so we're looking at that right now. So I think the first round, so to speak, is going to be friends and family. That's what like VCs like to see anyway. Can you raise a million bucks on your own? And this, you and I talked about this, is a vodka, right? That I launched, right? And I get the Zeus juice thing and I got all these businesses that I've done. I launched the Daily Fantasy Sports Company, basically because Jason Robbins, who's the founder of DraftKings, was a dick to me. Like crazy things. I've done really, really kind of silly things. But with this, it's one of the first things that I've ever talked to anybody. Every single person wants in somehow. Every single person wants to be a part of it. And that's when I was like, all right, cool. You've landed uh, we, on the thing. We know we, we know we have something. Now, look, you know, people are like, well, what about if someone else tries to knock you off and all this other thing? There are things that are close and someone might try and come knock us off, but that's okay. That means there's a market. We already know that there's a market. We already know that there's a huge disconnect. And so I'm not worried about even the raising money side of things. I'm really not worried about anything. I'm just excited just to finally get this thing going. And again, probably by the time this airs, it'll probably be up and running. One last question for you is you and I met on Clubhouse and I actually don't remember which room. It doesn't matter. But how has that added to your life and your business? How has being on Clubhouse, either hosting your own rooms or being in others? Yeah, I mean, I think it has been life-changing. So to be able to, especially during COVID, right, to be able to connect with people and to listen to people and learn from people that are smarter than you, I have never seen anything like it up until this point. And so it's been fantastic for me. I had told a story where we were launching some Facebook ads. We don't do a lot of Facebook stuff and we were launching them and I was on Clubhouse. I had the earpod in and I was in my conference room and we're looking at it. We're getting everything ready to go. We hadn't even submitted the ad, but before we even submitted the ad, everything was frozen and we were locked out and said that we can't run ads. I forget exactly what it was. It turned red. It was like the world had just ended, right? And I'm like, oh my God, we haven't even done anything yet. We haven't even launched yet. Like, I don't even know what happened, right? My guys were like, we don't know what happened. So I was on Clubhouse and I'm on stage as one of the entrepreneurs and, you know, the guys who supposedly knows what he's talking about. And I was like, hey, can I ask a question? So I told everybody what happened. And there was a guy on stage, his name's Aiden. You probably see him around. He's doing some great things on there. And he said, Mike, this is what happened. This is why it happened. Happens to everybody. Here's what you need to do. Bing, 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 bing. I did it in less than 24 hours. It was fixed. Live on Clubhouse. Live on Clubhouse. Like Amazing. To me, that was amazing. And to be able to connect with people like you. Look, I've done some cool business already with people in Clubhouse, more specifically with the book stuff. But we talk about the connections, right? 
See, Clubhouse is great. So you can connect with people, but it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. And I think a lot of people at the world of Clubhouse is certainly changing, but I would say it has changed my life because also the other part is Clubhouse is like going to a Tony Robbins or going to the Learning Annex at the same time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if you want to learn about a particular thing, like I told you earlier, I was just in a room on Clubhouse about how to pitch the VCs and angel investors because I've never done it before. So how else am I going to learn? I got to learn from somebody or have somebody on our team that knows how to do it. I feel like Connection Capital, what you've built and what you're building can be as big of a wave as Clubhouse has been in the last year. Well, I agree with you. And I'm glad we're aligned with that too. Again, just before my CIO was out there, I'm like, he's putting together a couple of things, talking about a couple of other ideas. I'll tell you this too, like this is, it's on the same subject, but as entrepreneurs, it, I talked to you a lot about your business and how systematized it is. And it's great. And I think you said the uh, Salesforce, I think, called you and said, man, you're, you know, you, what, what you're doing this, we want to know what, how you're doing it because you're using it beyond even what they thought of. But that's also the thing that excites me and maybe makes me a little bit nervous. Not nervous, but like, okay, well, when we do a MVP, minimal viable product, it's not 100% what I want. Like I want it to be, have everything possible right now, but we just no, know but we you've can't. Gotta, you've got to layer in those things so you that people put are like, there. for lots of reasons to test it, but also give people something to look forward to. Right. Yeah. You can't exactly. give it all at once on the first I know. date. I know, but I just want it to like be perfect right away. And I know it's not. And as a type A personality and an author who like will go through and you try and you, you see typos and all this other stuff, that's a little bit hard for me to do. But I do know that what we have is a beautiful thing and I think it's going to change people's lives. In fact, I know it is. That was quite the interview ride we had with Mike. Talk about serial entrepreneurship. It's so good he has a solid team to support him. I cannot wait to see and use Connection Capital. To learn more about Mike, you can visit the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.